0: Hey everybody, it's Lon Seidman and it's time once again for your weekly wrap-up and we've got a whole bunch of topics to discuss this week including no gigabit for you or for me, the Genesis and Mega Drive get some FPGA love, we'll look at the state of the retro business, Linux is now on the Chrome OS Stable Edition so you can get it on any compatible Chromebook now, California's password mandate and what it means for future devices and a missed opportunity that we'll talk about, my benchmark archive so you can find some comparisons on some of the PCs we've looked at, my thought on word processors, and we found a Empire Strikes Back documentary that's been lost for decades, and it's now up on YouTube, and I'll show you where to find it. So let's get to it. And before we begin, I want to thank our newest supporters here on the channel, and we had a whole bunch of new ones come in via Patreon, including Frank Alonso, who upgraded his support Chris Huston, Augustin, Derek Maggard, Brendan McCleary, and Mary Hurley became our latest YouTube member as well. I want to thank everyone who contributed this week, along with everyone who contributes on an ongoing basis, and all of you who watch on a regular basis too, because all of those things equal channel growth. Now, we don't have an advertiser this week, but we do have a non-ad, an affiliate link for Audible. This is a service that provides audiobooks to the world, and you can choose to either buy the books outright or you can subscribe to their subscription program, which starts at $14.99 a month, and you'll get one audiobook and two Audible originals each month. Uh, Those Audible Originals are usually shorter stories, but they've got some cool stuff. I got an X-Files radio play with the original cast in it. That's pretty cool as part of that subscription fee. Uh, You get some audio fitness programs if you're looking to work out a little bit. You can roll over any unused credits you have for up to five months. I do that quite a bit, especially if I'm in the middle of a long book. You have easy exchanges. So if you get a book you don't like, you can swap it out for one that you do like And if you cancel your subscription, everything you get through Audible is yours to keep. So the subscription is not like one of these streaming services where if you stop the subscription, all your content goes away. Uh, When you buy something on Audible, even with your monthly uh, credit, you own it. And I think that is a great business model. And I've really been getting a lot more reading done now that I'm an Audible subscriber. I have been for a while Uh, because as life gets busier, you don't have time to read as much. And for me, when I'd get into bed and start reading, I'd fall asleep a page or two into the book. It took me forever to get through my books. Uh, Now if I'm out driving or I'm out doing some yard work or doing some chores around the house, I can catch up on my reading. And I think this Audible subscription is a great deal for people who want to read more. So let's take a look at the week in review on the Extras channel. We unboxed the Huawei MateBook D and took it apart to see what kind of upgrades we could do to it. We also unboxed the Samsung X5 Thunderbolt 3 portable NVMe SSD, which we'll be reviewing this week. It's kind of a neat casing on it, too. It feels like a car. They've got some really high-end build quality on this thing, which uh, I guess you would expect for a device that costs as much as it does. This is a $400, 500-gigabyte SSD. Quite expensive, and if you need the speed, you'll get it, but there might be uh, some arguments to be made for something a little less expensive. On the main channel, we looked at that Huawei MateBook D. I'm going to talk a little bit more about some special prices on that in a second. Uh, we also looked at the Lenovo Chromebook C330, which is a two-in-one. I always love to look at Chromebooks, and this was a nice one. And we also took a look at a fun little printer from HP called the, uh, called the Sprocket. It kind of reminds me of that old Saturday Night Live skit, at least its name does. And we had a lot of fun printing out pictures with that and using some of its AR features. And you can see all of those videos link down below in the master playlist. And a great conversation happened uh, on that Huawei review because apparently these were like a Walmart exclusive for a little while. Uh, They're now being found on Amazon for around $600. But Walmart, the brick and mortar Walmart stores that might be near you, are now liquidating these at $450. And my local Walmart has two of them right now. If I didn't have like 12 Windows laptops all over the place, I'd probably get one of these because it's a great deal. Uh, It's an AMD Ryzen-based laptop called the MateBook D. And if you go on brickseek.com, you can check the inventory levels at your individual Walmart store, and they'll tell you how many they have. And I did not see these available on the Walmart website. So if BrickSeek sees that device in stock, get in your car or get an Uber or whatever and drive down to your store and get a deal because that's a really, really good price for what we saw on this laptop. Uh, Normally they're selling for about $600 on Walmart, so definitely grab one if you can. And now it's time for a couple of things that are on my mind, and this is week 87 of me doing this as a full-time occupation. And if you've been following my adventures and trying to get faster internet service to my home, you'll remember about two weeks ago, I mentioned Comcast has this new Gigabit Pro service that they're offering to residential areas. And my area is one in which this service was being offered. So I called them up and I said, hey, I'm interested in this service. Uh, Can you provide it to me? And they did an initial look and they said, yeah, it looks like you're pretty close to the fiber tap. We think it might happen. We've got to go through a multi-step process and survey and see if it's totally doable. And unfortunately, I got this email uh, right after I shot the wrap-up last week that says I am out of scope. I'm about 19,000 feet away from the nearest tap that they can actually bring me this service through, uh, which means that I am basically stuck with what I've got for a while. And what's so funny is I got a call this out of the blue from their business people about uh, 20 minutes after this email arrived, and I told them what happened with the Gigabit Pro. And what's funny is their business department is so completely detached from residential service that their pricing is not even in the same universe. Uh, but the, the guy says, oh yeah, we got 500 gig service. We can bring that to you. I said, over coax? He's like, oh yeah, yeah, we can totally do that. I said, upstream? He's like, yeah, it's upstream. And then he hangs up, he calls me back and says, "Well." Oh, I made a mistake. It's 500 down. And actually in your area, it's 300 down. And we can only do 12 up, which is exactly what I have now. But the business people wanted to charge me twice what I'm paying on the residential side. So I'm just going to keep the status quo for a while, unfortunately. Uh, But it does look like they are trying to bring their new regular coax gigabit service to my neighborhood at some point this year. And the year is quickly ending here, but we'll see if they can get it in. Uh, before 2019 begins. Now that's a gigabit down, but it's only 35 megabits up. So it's not as fast as this two gigabit service would have been on the upstream, but it's still three times faster than what I have now. So I'll take it. Uh, It's not going to be all that much more expensive on the net But I've got to wait for it to become available and until then we're going to be struggling with our 12 megabit per second upload speed. The other challenge I'm running into right now is that every video that we're uploading on the different platforms we're using uh, is a little bit different. We found on Facebook that if it just starts off with me talking we're not getting as much viewer retention as we would with a product being shown at the outset. So our Facebook videos are a little different than the YouTube video in that the intro sequence is about five seconds longer, where I run some B-roll of the product before the rest of the video kicks on. And that is unique to Facebook. YouTube is uploading still with my usual thing. And then on Amazon, we have to make a few changes for that. So really that speed would have been very helpful, uh, but we're gonna have to wait it out a little bit. I did get a neat comment here from Joe Gardena who lives in a rural area, kind of like I do. Uh, And he was noting that uh, where he's at, they actually get gigabit up and down because some of the newer neighborhoods have buried utility lines, and the utilities did not want to run new lines through all of that underground conduit because it costs too much. Uh, So he's gotten himself some good service Uh, even in an older rural neighborhood, which I'm hoping for as well. What really kills me is that there is fiber literally at the end of my driveway. I can see it tagged on the cable as it's running by, but there's just no way to get at it, unfortunately, and that is what I'm going to have to deal with. Uh, But he did say, have you considered moving? And I have not because I am very happy where I live right now. My internet service is usable. It's just not as good as I need it to be. Uh, But I think if I ever move out of the basement and Uh, get an actual office studio location, one of the major factors will be whether or not we can get this service here. So I'll probably go through that installation process again against whatever addresses I'm looking at for a a formal office. And if it's available at that office, that of course will uh, get me a little bit more motivated to select one place versus another. But definitely we're not going to move this operation until we know we can put it into a place where we can get the bandwidth we need. And now it's time for some things in the news that caught my eye and I was very excited to see This new uh, device coming out from Analog, which is one of the best, if not the best, maker of retro clone consoles. And this one is going to simulate the Sega Genesis and the Mega Drive through the use of a field programmable gate array chip. And we've covered a bunch of these analog consoles in the past. and In fact, I'll put a a bunch of the videos I've done on these in the master playlist down below. Uh, The one I have in my hand here is their NES clone console. This one is called the NT Mini. It was wicked expensive when it came out and still is, about $450. They only release them every once in a while. Uh, But it runs the NES library along with just about every other console from the 80s. And because it's using one of these FPGA chips, they're doing a hardware simulation versus straight up software emulation, and it works a lot better than many of the emulators you may have played with. Very low latency on this. Uh, they have an absolute genius designing the hardware, this guy named Kevtris. We're going to try to get him on for an interview at some point because he has uh, been replicating these old systems in FPGA better than anybody, and he's been uh, making consoles now for analog to get some of these old consoles working better with your HD television. Uh, It's going to sell for $189. So as far as clone consoles go, that's kind of expensive. But what's funny is this is the uh, same price that I paid for my uh, Sega Genesis that you see behind me right here back in 1989. So of course it was more from an inflationary standpoint back then, but it's the same exact launch price. Uh, The controller does not come with it though. You have to get that separately and 8 bit Doe is coming up with their own retro-inspired uh, Genesis six-button controller that will work wirelessly with it. They're going to sell for about $25. bucks. i have already pre-ordered uh, both the console and the controller, uh, so we'll be getting all that in, and around April or so, we'll have a full review of this thing when it comes out. Now, like the original Sega Genesis, this new console will have the expansion port on the side, so if you have an original Sega CD unit, You can slide this new console into your old Sega CD, and they say it will work just like the original did, but now at 1080p with the FPGA uh, running the Sega Genesis side of that device. You'll recall the uh, Sega CD had its own processor and some extra video chips inside of it. It'll all just work in concert because they've replicated the original hardware in that FPGA chip on this new console, so that's really cool. It will not, though, support the 32X at least not initially, and I think it might be a little too complex for what they have available inside of that FPGA chip. But who knows, if they get around to it or there's enough user interest, we might see uh, 32X support in the future. But there's a lot of compatibility here. Sega CD, the master system, they're going to have a Game Gear adapter apparently, and a few of the older 8-bit Sega devices will also work on this too. So this is going to be a really fun console when it comes out. And yes, this is a very high price to pay for a 16-bit clone console, but if you want the best, this is the best like all of the other clone consoles they've been putting out over the last couple of years. And what's been good about what Analog is doing here is they're not trying to exploit the market. They're producing really good, high-quality hardware for a very niche audience, and the niche that they are serving is quite happy with what they are putting together. And I wanted to put up this comment from Richard Keller because I think this is really where most consumers are Uh, which is the fact that you can get on the Xbox One X, for example, 150 Atari games for very little money. Uh, That new Sega pack came out with over 50 great games on it, hours upon hours of gameplay there for like 30 bucks. Uh, Rare's got a collection, Capcom, Namco, everybody's coming up with emulated versions of their old games on modern consoles that everybody already has in many cases you can buy these games digitally you don't have to go out and get any additional hardware or spend 450 bucks on a a fpga device and i think for most consumers they're going to be perfectly happy with what uh, richard is doing here and they're not going to want to get one of these things and that is why Analog, I think, has been approaching this market very smartly. They don't produce more consoles than the market will bear. Uh, They're not looking to become some big video game conglomerate. They're serving a particular portion of the market that is looking for something very specific, and they are managing to make a good business out of it because they don't have their eyes set on becoming the next Sega or Nintendo uh, in the course of this. And if you look around at what consumers are buying from a hardware standpoint, this is the kind of stuff they 're getting you know those who are uh, looking for some nostalgia with the old tactile feel of the original consoles are picking up those uh, mini Nintendo devices. We may see the N64 one this year. Uh, the Atari flashbacks are found at every Walgreens and pharmacy that you can imagine around here. They've got great distribution from AT, AT Games, even though their hardware is terrible. Uh, but people are buying this stuff because, you know what, they're cheap and available and it's good enough, I think, for most consumers. And quite honestly, when you plug in an Atari flashback to your hd television it's going to look better than you remembered your atari looking on your old zenith tv for example so there's really i think not a huge consumer demand for this stuff and i think analog has approached this market uh, very realistically and then on the flip side of course are some of these crowdfunded adventures like the infamous coleco chameleon or the poly mega that we looked at a few weeks ago very expensive. They're trying to appeal to regular consumers, but regular consumers aren't buying this stuff. They want to get the compilation that can get downloaded to their PlayStation uh, in a second or two with the games costing a couple cents apiece, uh, not having to go out and try to find some rare cartridges for a couple hundred bucks to play some old 16-bit game they played as a kid. I just don't see it happening with either of these devices. There's another one now that is uh, reviving the Intellivision brand. It's called the Amico. They're going to offer, I'm guessing, Intellivision games, but they also plan to offer other digital titles for download. Uh, but $180, bucks, and it's kind of a lot. And, and it's really not going to offer any different of an experience than what you could get buying those same games Uh, through a regular game console. The one thing they're trying to push this one as is a family friendly device. Apparently, it's not going to have any games with violence in them. So maybe they might get a spot at Walmart with this. Maybe some parents might find that appealing that their kids won't stumble across something uh, more violent. But again, I just don't see it happening. But we'll keep an eye on it. This one might prove me wrong. But again, every other attempt has not been working out too well. So Uh, We'll keep our eye on that. And in the meantime, I think Analog approaches this market a lot more realistically. And big news for Chromebook and Chromebox owners. If your device is compatible with Project Crostini, which allows Chromebooks to run Linux apps, uh, that feature is now part of the stable channel. So if you update your Chromebook, you will see, if you're compatible an option here to enable Linux. And when you turn that on, it will install all the container stuff to get Linux running properly on your Chrome device. Uh, my suggestion is to head over to the Project Christini Reddit subreddit. I'll put a link to that down in the video description. Uh, there you can see which Chromebooks are compatible. There are a lot, but there are a number that are not compatible, nor will they ever be. So check out that page and you'll get uh, some more information, lots of helpful folks there. Now, when I previewed this feature a few weeks ago, we were installing all of the apps on the command line. Uh, But there's actually a nice visual way to browse Linux applications. This is called the GNOME Software Center. And once you get it installed, you do have to do some command line to get this part installed. But once it's installed, you can go through and browse all of these different open source applications that are up on this service here. Uh, completely free of charge you can find the app that you're looking for and then just tap install and it will automatically get everything installed without having to do any additional command line functions there are a few steps though to getting it installed so let me show you those real quick Uh, the first is to get that software manager installed in the first place so you type in what you're seeing on screen right here Uh, I did a couple of uh, little typos here as I'm typing it out so wait until I fix all of those there we go Uh, And what you do is type this command in and hit enter. Uh, That will then go out and download all of the different components that you need for this to work. You have to give it permission to do so. And then you wait for this process to finish. And then once this part is done, there are two other things you have to do. Uh, So the next step here is to, let me wait for my screen to catch up here, uh, is to type in sudo apt get update. And what this will do is go out and get all the updates that are available for the components that you just downloaded. Uh, and then you have to do one additional command, which is this one you see on screen. And what this will do is get that uh, that software, again, updated properly. And once you get all of that done, uh, you have to reboot your Chromebook. And after you do that, uh, the store here or this application center will be populated with all of these apps for you to browse through. If you don't do those other two steps, you won't see anything. Uh, So if you do those two steps and you still don't see anything, make sure your Chromebook shuts down and completely reboots And then when you go back to the package center here, you'll see more applications available. And I found it to be really helpful. And what's cool, too, is that after it's done installing things, uh, they will show up. Looks like my Chromebook just locked up on me here. Uh, They will show up on your application launcher, so you can pull up uh, applications just like you would anything else on your Chromebook. So a really helpful way to get things working. There's probably a few little glitches here that they're uh, still dealing with as this rolls out on the stable channel, but it does work uh, exceptionally well, and it's very easy to find uh, new applications for your Chromebook that way. This is such a great thing for Chrome OS. I think it's a great thing for Linux in general. A lot more consumers are going to start stumbling across this now and potentially uh, using some of these applications day to day, and I'm very excited to see where this goes next. And now it's time for a Q&A from you, the viewers, and our first question comes in from FireballTP, and he was curious about a new law in California that's going to require companies to set uh, unique passwords for every device they manufacture or require the user to set up a username and password of their own when they're first setting up that device. That law takes effect in 2020. I don't know if it's going to make anything more secure because I can see most manufacturers just having the user set the password initially. And as we know, not all users set the most secure passwords for themselves, but I guess it's better to have Uh, millions of devices out there with different passwords as opposed to millions of devices out there with the same one Uh, there's an article in the bbc that talks a little bit more about this law and what it will entail Uh, you can find that linked on screen Uh, they did talk to a number of security researchers who were concerned that this bill was kind of a missed opportunity and i agree with them on on this point Uh, because they are not doing anything to address manufacturers that uh, release a product and then stop supporting it a year or two down the road. And you've got these perfectly functional routers from a perfectly functional company uh, basically sitting exposed because they don't want to spend the money or time or resources to secure their older products in lieu of trying to get customers to buy new ones. I think that's the bigger security issue here. A lot of the problems we've seen with routers involves firmware updates and not passwords, but we'll have to see uh, what comes down the line from that. I do expect at some point here in the United States for Congress to start taking some action on these kinds of uh, these kinds of items. I think there's enough bipartisan support Uh, for looking at uh, security of both uh, big corporations and government entities, but also homes too, because every government worker who's got a high-profile job does come home at the end of the day. And if they're coming home to an insecure environment, uh, that needs to be made secure. And I think the industry has to partner up here to uh, try to make things a little better. So we'll see what happens with this. Good start, but I don't think it goes far enough. And this next question involves some of the laptops that we review here on the channel and what we do with all of the performance data that we collect for the benchmarks that we run. And if you go to lantv benchmarks, you can get access to the spreadsheet that we use to keep track of all of this stuff. This is a read-only link to the actual spreadsheet, so You might see us in there updating it as we're doing testing on new computers that we get in here to the channel. And I wanted to do briefly here is just show you what everything is on here so you can go through and take a look. Uh, So the first thing you'll see is the speedometer benchmark tab here at the bottom. Uh, We have the 1.0 version of the test here along with 2.0 and some of the newer devices that we've looked at. You'll notice things don't always look consistent. We're trying to clean this up a bit, but generally you should be able to quickly uh, jump around here and compare results from one computer to the next on this test, we sort it out by the score, so you can see top performing to uh, lowest performing there. Uh, just about every computer we've tested since the channel began is in here, uh, so it's a really good resource for us and also for all of you. And I haven't talked about this availability in a while, so this is a good opportunity to bring it back up again. Uh, we've got the 3 d Mark CloudGate test, which we run on a bulk of the machines that we test, given that they are kind of mid-range uh, to low-end devices. Uh, the higher-end gaming devices, we've got the TimeSpy DirectX 12 test in there. I think we have the Slingshot stuff as well from some of the mobile devices here, too. So just about everything we test is in here, uh, but we don't always do a lot with all of these different tests that you can see here at the bottom. So we're continually updating and cleaning this chart up, but it does have, again, every test Uh, on every device that we have tested here since the channel's beginning. And Dave here noted that in my printer reviews, I've been using a lot of Apple's Pages application here, which is their free word processor that comes with every Mac. And he's wondering how often I use that compared to Microsoft Word. Uh, So I don't use either Word or Pages all that much because my primary go-to word processor is Google Docs. I put everything in there Uh, It's been really, really helpful here on the channel, especially uh, given that I have one person who uh, does work for me, who's off at college now, so we can collaborate on documents remotely without any issues. And even inside the office, when Corey's working on something, he can work on the same document that I'm working on at the same time. And it's really convenient and very, very simple. We don't have to look for documents or save them anywhere. Everything just gets backed up automatically. But I am using pages quite a bit when I have to do a quick and dirty page layout. I am not a graphic designer, and what I love about pages is that you've got a lot of built-in templates and other ones that you can acquire for free or for a small fee from someplace else, and you can very easily work with these documents. I can just grab a photo from my library here. I keep everything in Apple Photos now also, so I can uh, just adjust the cropping here. I can hit done. It's usually placed pretty quickly. I can change the text on these newsletters and get something out really, really quickly. And it just feels like a more intuitive interface for me. I used to do a little bit more with uh, page layout applications like PageMaker and InDesign, and now I don't have the time or patience to get things perfect. I just need something I can quickly print out, and Pages does a really nice job of that. And it's free. You don't have to pay a monthly fee to use it. It's an adequate word processor. It works well with some of the other things in the Apple Office suite, and I'm really quite happy with it. So I don't actually use Microsoft Word uh, that much at all. Uh, generally, I'm importing Microsoft Word documents into uh, Google Docs or loading them up in Pages, and that's been about it. Pages will export to Word, uh, but the formatting, of course, doesn't always carry forward. They've gotten better with it in uh, its current iterations here, but again, not a perfect thing, but it does seem to work okay. Uh, the version they have on the iPhone and iPad also is very uh, similar in its feature offering, so if I'm out somewhere and I get a call to change something, I can actually pop open my phone work on the same document that's in my iCloud account and uh, resave it and off you go with it. So very convenient, not expensive at all, and very good to use. But my most favorite iWork application on the Mac is by far Keynote, and I'll go so far as to say this is my favorite Mac application, period. Uh, This is the application that actually got me to buy my first modern Mac in 2005 because the uh, presentation software here is that good. It is better than PowerPoint, uh, they actually made this for Steve Jobs to do his presentations on, and then they turned it into a product. And while it's a great presentation tool with a lot of flexibility, you could do like in-slide in, in slide animations. I can move things around and zoom them out and apply different effects to things right in the middle of a slide. Uh, you can also take those animations and export them for use in video You can even do alpha channels. So if you're looking to make a lower third, for example, you can put them together in Keynote, get nice transparency, really uh, sharp looking graphics, and a very easy interface to work with for doing some animations. It is so flexible and so easy Uh, so much easier than Apple's motion software, which for me is a bit too much. This is just simple, and uh, if you can make a slide, you can make some really nice video graphics. It outputs ProRes 422, and uh, I can do some really cool stuff with this very, very quickly. I love efficiency, and Keynote is one of the keys uh, to that. If you're interested, I can show you some stuff next week as to what you could do with Keynote in that way, because it's a really uh, powerful application beyond just Uh, making presentations so that is some of the stuff that i use here for productivity but again my mainstay for most document creation is google docs and our q a for you this week is about the productivity software that you use what do you use for word processing and presentations and everything else let me know down in the comments below i'd love to find some more stuff to start playing with and as you all know i'm a multi-platform guy so android mac whatever you got Put it down there. I'm just curious to see what else might be out there because I am not a creature of habit when it comes to productivity. If I find something better, I switch. So let me know what you're using and what you love down in the comments below. And our channel of the week this week is something that I stumbled across the other day that really fascinated me. This is Annie Wan Revisited. I think he's a Star Wars YouTuber that puts stuff up on another channel, but he came across this documentary, likely from a VHS tape somewhere. Uh, called The Lost Empire Strikes Back Documentary by Michael Parbeau. And it looks like this was created inside of Lucasfilm when they were producing The Empire Strikes Back. And they uh, went through a lot of the big, memorable scenes from that movie and showed how they were created. It was remarkable uh, just how much painstaking work went into this film. And given the technological limitations of the time, it's also remarkable how these scenes really have held up 40 years later. They look fantastic even today. And what really struck me about this was just how efficient the special effects process has become. It's still painstaking work, but it's not the same type of painstaking work in that the computers can really uh, generate a lot of the scene that used to have to be put together largely by hand. And I'll give you a great example of this. There was a Rogue One documentary that talked about uh, that big massive space battle they had at the end of the film and how they were able to have that battle run out and then change the camera angles to find exactly the look they were trying to achieve for that last scene. And they could pretty much adjust the virtual camera and get a different angle of something. And you look at that, and then you look at what they had to do to create the spaceship scenes in Empire Strikes Back, and there was no flexibility to do any of that. And I think to a large degree, the reason why the current films are not as popular among Star Wars fans is that the difficulty of creation is still there, But the limitations that really drove the creativity back in the 70s and 80s are no longer limitations that filmmakers are dealing with today. And I think that's part of what's going on with these. And also the fact that when Star Wars and The Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi came out, uh, these were all brand new experiences. Nobody in film was doing something like this before. And now we've seen it over and over again, just now with familiar vehicles and everything else. So I would definitely check this out because I think it will really give you an appreciation for Uh, what these films were like to uh, us children of the 70s and 80s and just how uh, difficult the process was to make them. So this week on the channel, we've got a couple of different things to take a look at. Uh, We've got this thing from Cavo that just came in. Uh, This is a device that connects to your Apple TV and your Nvidia Shield and your Amazon Fire Sticks and whatever. And what you do is you ask it to find you something that you want to watch And then it will go to the device and the app that has it and plays it back for you. That's kind of the gist of this. It's kind of a universal remote, but it's able to rummage through different services and find the actual pieces of media that you are looking for. I'm not sure what the market is for this thing, but we'll try it out and see how well it works or not. And this was something that was released about a year ago to a lot of fanfare by some of the tech press, but it was a very expensive device. Uh, This new one is less expensive. It is $99. And then it's also got an annual subscription fee of $20 to use it. I'm generally not fond of subscription fees to use the product that you paid for, but we'll keep an open mind with this and give it a shot and see exactly what you can do with it. Apparently, it supports most of the stuff that I have here in the house, uh, so we'll see exactly what it is capable of doing, and I'd love to hear any thoughts you have on it uh, as I start my evaluation of it. I also got in the little portable Neo Geo device. You've probably seen this reviewed on a few other channels. So I'll probably look at uh, some of the latency and just the overall uh, product itself. I do like these little mini retro consoles. So we'll be doing a review of this and let me know if there's anything that other reviews haven't covered, which I will try to cover in my review of it. And we'll also be taking a look at that Thunderbolt 3 solid state drive that I mentioned on the extras channel at the outset here. I'm still trying to get to that short throw projector. It keeps getting bumped by other things coming in. You know, the new shiny objects come in and I kind of go in that direction, but it's staying on the list here because I definitely want to explore short throw projectors, and we've got one in the box waiting for my review, so stay tuned for that. Now, if you want to help the channel, you can. You can go to lawntv slash support and make a monthly or one-time contribution to what we do here. We also have our ongoing relationship with Plex where you can make a Uh, We'll set up a Plex account, no credit card required, and we'll get a small commission. We also get a commission if you buy or gift a Plex Pass subscription. You can find that stuff listed on screen there. And this channel is not the only place where we put content up for you to watch. We have the Extras channel for unboxings and supplementary content, the podcast, which is the audio version of this show and interviews that I do from time to time, We also have the Snippets channel where I've got search-friendly snippets of this show, so if you just want to watch or share one portion of the wrap-up, we take all the main stuff and also upload it there. And we have my live streams archive at lawntv slash live streams. We'll be doing some more of those a little later in November. If you want to be notified every time I do something here on any of these channels, you can click the bell on each of them so that you'll get push day notification or an email sent out to you. That's definitely something you'll want to do because YouTube doesn't always give subscribers what they subscribe to, unfortunately. And if you want to engage with the channel, you can go to lon.tv slash email to sign up for our very infrequent email list. Uh, We also have the Facebook uh, page at lon.tv slash Facebook, where we are now part of their monetization program. So more content is going up there as well. We have the Facebook group at lawn.tv slash Facebook group where you can interact with me and other viewers. A great community building up there. And we have the store at lawn.tv slash store where I sell the items that I purchase for review here on the channel. So definitely Uh, head over there if you're looking for a deal on something that's been previously reviewed. Uh, Right now, the only item I have up there at the moment is the Fire HD 8. It's been up there for about two weeks or so, so if you want to make me a deal, uh, let me know what you want to pay for it, and we'll see what we can do. Lon at lon.tv is the email address. We also have an alert system here, so every time I add something to the store, an email gets pushed out to a separate list. So if you sign up for that list, every time I add something, you will get an email about Uh, new items in the store. So that's going to do it for this week's weekly wrap-up. I want to thank everyone for your ongoing support of the channel, both through your contributions, but also through watching and commenting. All of that stuff helps keep growing the channel, and I really appreciate all the time that you put in to watch what I do and uh, send me your feedback, because the channel gets better uh, week after week because of what you suggest, and keep those suggestions coming down in the comments below, and until next time, this is Lon Seidman. Thanks for watching. This channel is brought to you by the Lon.TV supporters, including Gold Level supporters, Chris Allegretta, the Four Guys with Quarters podcast, Tom Albrecht, Too Much Sauce, Gerard Newberg, and Kalyan Kumar.